0: Let's enter into a time of prayer and meditation together. We gathered here who cradle so much in our arms. All the joys of life, the signs of hope in the world. All the reasons to celebrate and the new beginnings. And all the losses and hardships and setbacks, too. We who want so much in our lives and bear up under so much also. It is why we come together to build these legacies of hope for and with one another, each of us called to a ministry of deep caring and mindfulness and a willingness to hold one another in the light of this community's hope and its love. So we bear up together, cheer one another along, Circle up protectively when that's what one of us needs. It's why we remember together. Literally pulling ourselves back into one body. So we hold beloved members lost. Family members of those we love lost. And beloved friends. We hold fresh losses, and we know in this hour some of us bring with us losses that happened long ago, but we still carry tenderly. We hold those who are sick and undergoing complicated courses of treatment and those who are in some difficult place in their lives, in some hard place in a relationship, struggling in discernment in some aspect of their lives. We hold a nation and a world that needs to find ways to be better together. And knowing that the most obvious price we pay for any war, just or unjust, is the price of the loss of human lives, we hold also in our hearts the three American soldiers who lost their lives this week in Afghanistan, and all the soldiers wearing uniforms of other nations, and unnamed civilians who died in these lands, too. We hold so much. So much hope and so much yearning. Hold everyone named and their families in our thoughts and prayers. and we recommit out of love for each other and the world each week to ease the tide of human suffering howsoever we can. May the silence hold us.
1: Our first reading is My Grandfather's Blessings by Rachel Naomi Remen. According to the Kabbalah, at some point in the beginning of things, the holy was broken up into countless sparks which were scattered throughout the universe. There is a God spark in everyone and in everything, a sort of diaspora of goodness God's imminent presence among us is encountered daily in the most simple, humble, and ordinary ways. The Kabbalah teaches that the holy may speak to you from its many hidden places at any time. The world may whisper in your ear, or the spark of God in you may whisper in your heart. My grandfather showed me how to listen. Our second reading is from Letters to a Young Poet by Rainer Maria Rilke. How should we be able to forget those ancient myths that are at the beginning of all peoples, the myths about dragons that at the last moment turn into princesses? Perhaps. All the dragons of our lives are princesses who are only waiting to see us once beautiful and brave. Perhaps everything terrible is in its deepest being something helpless that wants help from us. So you must not be frightened if a sadness rises up before you, larger than any of you have ever seen, if a restiveness, like light and cloud shadows, passes over your hands and over all you do. You must think that something is happening with you, that life has not forgotten you, that it holds you in its hand, it will not let you fall. Why do you want to shut out of your life any uneasiness, any miseries or any depressions, for after all, you do not know what work these conditions are doing inside you.
0: There is an old Jewish saying that God made humanity because God loves stories. And fill our world with stories we do. We tell tell fairy tales, we tell stories about the founding of a nation or a religion, lore that is often based loosely on the facts. There are stories that tell the trajectory of our family or of the whole human race. Even stories our parents and we tell and retell that seem to cast light on the fundamental nature of our own small life. You know the ones I'm talking about Even when he was a child, he loved to dance, remember? And so the story goes. Our stories are often filled with moments of grandeur, punctuated by uncertain, tension-filled, broken-down-by-the-side-of-the-road episodes. Sometimes they have whole lost-in-the-wilderness chapters. They tell us how far we've come. We are a storied people and a storied race, we human beings. Perhaps the rabbis were right and God created us for just that reason because we make up some good ones. Stories serve any number of purposes. Often they explain things that we want reasons and explanations for, like the Genesis story of creation that gives us one explanation for how it is we came to be here as we are. Just as often stories orient us toward a truth that if we just asserted it or argued it wouldn't ground it inside us the way the story does, like Rilke in the reading, Rilke's reminder of the stories in which all dragons are princesses in disguise— Stories that remind us to face down our fears, and how often something beautiful is the reward for those who are willing to face the hard stuff. So much can be lodged in our being with a story, can animate our lives and our choices in ways of which we are not even always aware. So, who among us? doesn't walk by a homeless man or woman and think from time to time of the story of the Good Samaritan and how that recollection changes how you are in relationship to that moment and its choices. Stories can be compass and anchor, north star and prod. Elie Wiesel once rightly observed, some stories are true That never happened. And a Siberian elder once said, if you don't know the trees, you may be lost in the forest. But if you don't know the stories, you may be lost in life. So our stories are important, important enough to pay attention to. They hold important truths. They lodge them in our imaginations. And so it's also true that stories can animate us for the better, or they can anchor false truths and biases and outdated wisdom and misguided direction. Sometimes the devil is in the interpretation, because, of course, any story can be interpreted in a myriad of ways. One of my favorite examples of that is... Elaine Pagels, in her book, she's the scholar of religion, in her book Adam, Eve, and the Serpent, she writes about one such story and all of its wildly different interpretations. The story, as if you couldn't guess from the title of the book, is about that story in Genesis of the serpent and the apple and Adam and Eve eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's been part of the wisdom literature for three major religions, but used so differently through time. So she says that for second-century Jews and Christians, it was often a tale that was used, I love this, to tell about humanity coming into moral freedom and moral responsibility. It was a kind of of coming-of-age story for us. Later, of course, it would become a tale of disobedience. But not one usually talked about in terms of shared responsibility, but one about woman tempting and diminishing man, and a warning about her innate sinfulness and power to degrade. Still later, in Christianity, it began to be told as a reminder and proof of our human innate brokenness, that even in the most perfect and supportive of circumstances, we would find a way to betray what was most holy— And so it was used as proof of our original sin and sinfulness. So, this is just one example of a story that's layered with these interpretations and unquestioned assumptions, and it becomes this incredibly powerful tool for ennobling our freedom and responsibility or diminishing our moral possibilities. Even in our own lives, though, the interpretation matters. We often see events that happen in our lives in a particular way, though I don't think we're aware we're making choices and we have a perspective, that we bring a bias or all those past experiences that help us see one thing one way rather than another. When I realized this most keenly was one time when I was sitting at the kitchen table with my father and his brother and they were retelling the story of a family vacation that they had gone on when they were both young boys. One of them, I won't tell who, one of them told a story of a lousy vacation. The destination was really disappointing, and the accommodations were kind of sorry, and people in the family behaved deplorably at various points in this vacation, so it really wasn't a vacation at all. The other listened quietly, I thought at first in affirmation, but when his brother was done, he hesitated a moment, and then he piped up to say, you know, you think we had been on two completely different vacations. And then he went on to share his memories of this vacation that, by his recollection, was full of these happy moments and special uh, opportunities to be together where everyone was bonded, close, and true. One of his most precious memories of a family vacation— And then the two of them, when the younger brother was done, they just sat and stared at each other in silence. Who was right? The one who saw it as about disappointment or the one who saw it as a rosier time together? Both were right, glass half full, glass half empty. But it just brought up for me how owning a story and then its power to condition the way we see things going forward, it's incredibly complicated and it's incredibly important. Solomon Rushdie once wrote, those who do not have the power over the story that dominates their lives, the power to retell it, to rethink it, to deconstruct it, to joke about it, and change it as times change, truly are powerless because they cannot think new thoughts." So if we understand the power of story, then we have to cultivate this hard practice of how we think new thoughts outside of the stories we've told ourselves. How we let them get broken open. Well, we all know that sometimes we don't have to work at it. Sometimes life has a way of breaking our stories wide open, of shattering them and forcing us to tell a new one. Life gives us wake-up calls sometimes. You think your marriage is happy, but your partner doesn't, so you have to go back and look at what that relationship looked like over time and learn to retell the story of what it was. Or take Scaredy Squirrel... Right? I mean, here's this fabulous parable told in irony. Like many of us, this is this creature who's got these routines and who has a world he has constructed to avoid the things he has told himself are dangerous. He has his emergency kit packed, and he's got a plan for what happens if life goes wrong, and he carefully controls the life around him to make sure he stays safe. And by the way, he's not completely wrong, is he? Because life in that unknown place outside of his tree is sometimes dangerous. There are dogs who love to chase squirrels, and when they catch them, are a dangerous, um, set of, offer a dangerous set of circumstances. And there are cars that run over animals who don't look both ways before they cross the streets. And there are competitors who don't want you coming into their territory And it's also true that there are surprises for those who venture out into the unknown. And Scaredy Squirrel, as you remember in the story, by accident finds himself thrown into the unknown. He would never have gone there himself. And yet, once he's outside of his zone of safety, he discovers what? He discovers that he has this gift, right? This gift that he had no idea was his. A gift that changes his story about who he is and about what opportunities life offers, how each day might be lived a little differently. Larry Pierce, who's a UU minister, says, if you want to know whether a story needs breaking open, ask yourself whether it is life-giving. Or another way to look at it is ask yourself whether it is grounded in problems or whether it works to justify smallness of heart and mind and spirit. And if it is one of those stories, he says, then just ask yourself this. What facts have been left out of this story I'm telling about myself or my community or the world? That is to say, Adopt this posture of wonder about it. So, for the person who sees his life about a series of rejections or disappointments, he might ask himself where he hasn't been rejected but embraced or where life has borne fruit for him. And then he might ask himself how it changes the story to incorporate those moments into it. Or for the professional who thinks that all her work has amounted to almost nothing, it's been unimportant in the course of her community or her world, she might ask who would speak positively of the impact she's made and what evidence would they lay on the table and how would that change the story she tells herself. Or for the mother or father who sees their relationship with their child as severed they might ask what are the good places still alive in this relationship and how can I tell a story about the possibilities to connect across those and then how can I live into it think new thoughts what's left out Make new choices. Rewrite the tale. The truth is, most religions are really about our power to rewrite the human story. They're all about rebirth, right? About how we can be reborn to our better selves in any moment. How we can be resurrected to the greatest possibilities of who it is that we might be together. Faith is hope in the unseen, the Bible says. But someone has to draw a vivid picture of the unseen we're marching toward for it to be a possibility. And at their best, every philosophical and faith tradition is about wanting our stories when we finally tell them, when we tell them about something in the past to be stories that were about nothing less than life of incredible wisdom and great love and purpose. And so it's our job to find and continue to tell those stories so we can live into that promise Gene Houston said, if you keep telling the same sad, small story, you will keep living the same sad, small life. So what are our self-limiting stories? The ones we tell ourselves about who we are or what the world can be. What do we tell ourselves about our nation? Is it the fall of an empire story, or the capitalism can't ever be reined in story, or the old po- all politicians are corrupt story? What story do we tell about Unitarian Universalism? Is it we are the small elite story, or that they won't ever understand us story? And where do all these stories lead them if we tell them again and again? And where is the evidence to the contrary? I buried a woman yesterday. One story about her life is that she was painfully shy. So shy, she actually had a hard time speaking and she struggled throughout her life with depression. And she went through a heartbreaking divorce that she really never got over. That's one of her stories. But she had another one, the one that actually dominated. It was a story about a woman who was quiet but who believed in things of her time, like the belief that we could end poverty. She was shy, but she had this fierce Unitarian Universalist spirit. And she had this commitment to fairness and kindness. A woman who went door to door in our town, knocking on apartment doors and handing out flyers and starting a preschool for kids so that low-income children before they started kindergarten would have some preparation. A woman who helped start the first affordable housing in our city, housing we're still proud of, though we forget how hard she and others had to fight to make it happen at the time. A woman who believed that Everyone was doing his or her best and there was no reason for cynicism in a world where change was possible. We never gave up the fight to make the unity of the human family a reality because she believed we didn't we didn't have the luxury of giving up when it was other people's happiness at stake. Those are the stories I love. Those are the stories I need. Those are the stories that you need, I would imagine. You know stories like it, and you know people like it. Those are the stories that need to be in our canon. Those are the stories that we need to tell one another before we go to bed at night, at the end of one day, and before the beginning of another. We need to tell stories about people who lived with courage and boldly. We need to tell about all the success stories in communities like ours where people are doing justice work because they can't imagine living otherwise, where they're going to detention centers to be ears to give voice to the voiceless. We need to hear the stories about every time we shatter limits and break apart old outdated stories to make room for the life-giving ones. What stories do we tell? Does our story let the let us off the hook? Or do we make sure we're telling those stories that make us leap from safe places and find perhaps that we can fly, maybe actually that we were meant to fly all along? Because this storytelling is literally a practice of spiritual liberation. So as we go out into our lives and pay attention to what narrates our choices, may we make sure that we write and rewrite our stories until they literally leap off the pages of our days, until we are determined to live into stories that serve the good in epic ways and discover and promulgate only the sweetest, most deserving wisdom we have dug out of life's hardest places, and that they lead us to gather that Kabbalistic light divided and spread all over until it's reunited into that whole that brings sunlight to the darkest places. Stories that only ever end in kingdoms. Of happily ever after. May this be our spiritual work to do and to share and to live into from this day forward. Amen. I am gonna invite us to, do we extinguish a chalice too? Well great, I don't have that in my script. Let's do that. May the prayers of our hearts and the songs of our lips shared in this holy hour of worship be with us now in all days to come. We extinguish our chalice. Our worship has ended. Let our service begin. I was reminded in the memorial service I did yesterday from the spontaneous sharing that this woman had affected lives that she had no idea she had affected so profoundly this quiet, humble, determined woman. And I love being reminded of the legacy that we each live that ripples out from our lives, just from living them with integrity and authenticity and the connections that are between us. And growing up in a church that I only started attending at 16, we did a benediction at the end of every service that I loved. It was like this blessing that took me out into the week, and it was. Forest Church, who did it every week, and I feel like it allows me to carry him with me into the world, um, an act of gratitude at the end of every service to say the same words. Only he would say it from the pulpit, and I love when we join hands, like making the interdependent web an actual lived reality. So what I'd love is to ask you to let every strain of this web connect. So, No single strain lives unconnected to the others so that we are literally one web of community and people. And now in our comings and our goings, may the light of love shine upon us. Out from within us, be gracious unto us and grant us peace. For this is the day We are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it.